Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Simon, and uh, we're going to spend some time looking at this passage. We've been going through Mark's Gospel, and we're up to this very peculiar place in the Gospel of Mark, because Jesus, Jesus fades into the background. We've been watching him walk along and, and preach and teach and raise up his disciples and perform miracles, and suddenly we have this little excerpt in Mark's Gospel where, G, where Jesus almost becomes a background character, and we are focused on, on Herod. I remember back in the 80s there was a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Anyone remember that show? Um, and, you know, we, we love to look into how the, the other side lives and see what sort of indulgences they have, etc. It has an, it's not just an 80s theme. It's, uh, we have the Cardassians and even uh, TV shows like The Crown. We love to just see, we're at Downton Abbey. You know, we just love to see how, all, how the upper class live and what happens behind those closed doors. Uh, the disciples have been sent off by Jesus to go village to village. So as I picture this in my mind, they're, they're down on the ground uh, spreading the word of God and they're going from village to village to tell all the people in the surrounding area of Galilee that the kingdom of God has come near and so repent and believe. The kingdom of God has come, there's the information. Your response needs to be to repent, turn around uh, stop going your way, turn back to the king and, and believe and enter the kingdom of God. Well, we go into today the kingdom of Herod to hear uh, what he heard. Uh, twice in this passage, we, we get explicitly told what Herod heard. And uh, the first thing is that Herod heard the word of God, uh, hearing the word of God. Let me just reread verse 14 to 16. King Herod heard about this. He heard about the, the, the disciples travelling around and, uh, and spreading the good news of Jesus. That King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah. And still others claimed, he's a prophet like one of the prophets long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said... John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. The news had reached Herod. This is not just a small thing going from village to village that the, the people up the top are not interested. The rumours, it's making such a commotion on the street level, it's raised all the way up, up to King's uh, throne room. He heard about the miracles, he heard about the message, uh, the message to repent, and some were saying this, some were saying that. The thing that stands out to me when people said, uh, or, he, or you think he's John the Baptist or we think he's Elijah, or we think he's one of the prophets of the old. Do you notice that all three of those conclude that, that we don't know who he is, but he is a man of God. This is God doing something. All, all the rumours were revolving around uh, this is something that, that uh, God is at work. Uh, none of them are right. Uh, they hadn't picked that he's the son of God, the Messiah. But their conclusions are this is God at work. But then we're told what Herod reckons. His conclusion is, oh, this must be John. John the Baptist, who I beheaded. This is, um, this is Herod. This is what I would like to call the I reckon theology. I reckon this. I reckon that. What do you reckon happens when you die? What do you reckon God is like? What do you reckon that uh, God wants from us? Why are we here? What do you reckon? You know, uh, the I reckon theology, it's a very popular religion. But we actually have um, given, we've been given to us in the word of God, answers to all these questions. What happens when you die? What, did, what does God require of us? Who is God? Why are we here? These questions aren't unanswerable questions. Uh, 
the questions that God has given us the answers to. The Bible has the answers. Um, but how popular it is, how popular the I reckon theology is. It's very popular, at, particularly at funerals. But we know about God. God has given us all these answers. What happens when you die? Why we're here? And friends, Jesus did not kick off an I reckon movement. He is the leader of the we know the way people. You know, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't come to raise more questions. Jesus came to give us answers. In fact, the New Testament goes on to tell us that all the promises that God has made are all yes in Jesus. Not maybe or kind of getting there. They're just yes. Jesus is uh, the answer to everything. Now, that God's word in its, in its own particular way had made it all the way into the throne room of Herod. My question at the moment is, what do we do when we hear God's word? Do we kind of listen to it? Do we hear rumours of it and then come to our, jump to our own conclusions? One of the things we'd spend a lot of time with in our growth groups is to wrestle with what is the text saying. It's so easy to read a, a bit of scripture and then jump straight off, the, off, take our eyes straight off the passage and jump to what we think uh, God wants us to know. More, more likely, we are importing into the Bible what we want it to hear, what we want it to say. But we, when we hear God's word, we need to engage our brains and listen to what really is happening. Herod had an opportunity and all the courtroom to hear what was being spread from village to village. And rather than investigate further, they jumped to a conclusion which was actually wrong, that this, this is John the Baptist. But it springboards, it springs Mark into telling us the story of how John actually lost his head. So uh, while the story starts in sync with Jesus' story, Mark then takes us back in time to tell us about an event that, that has happened in the past. Verse 17, uh, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now Luke chapter 3, the parallel account here of John's, uh, of John's imprisonment, John, uh, Luke 3 tells us that adultery was not the only evil that John rebuked Herod for. But Luke then adds that Herod committed one more evil by putting John in prison. It's, it's quite beautiful, that, the way that Luke says that. John was, not, John was doing what the prophets of old would do. Speak the word of God into the world. Speak it for everyone to hear, and particularly for the rulers of Israel. Now, Herod was not a, Jew, a Jewish king, but he was a king over the Jews. And so uh, John was being very much like an Elijah or a, or a prophet of the Old Testament, speaking to everyone, even the king who sat over the people of Israel. Uh, it, it, Elijah, um, John the Baptist, is identified by Jesus as the Elijah who had to come. So that explains why the rumours were going around that this must be Elijah. We had the, the reading from Malachi to say that before the Lord comes, I will send Elijah, my messenger, who will, who will prepare the way. And our kids' talk has given us that summary of John's ministry, that he stood in the wilderness and and. and told proclaimed to Israel get ready because the king is coming and now the king has come and, and the, 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 
the ministry on the street says the kingdom of God has come, repent and believe the good news. The, the word of God has reached the kingdom of Herod and we're taken in time to, to, to learn that King Herod, while he hears God's word, he suppresses God's word. He suppresses God's word. He put John in, uh, in, in prison. Herod, Herod put God's word in a box under his control under his lock and key, so that he can go and listen to Herod when he felt like, uh, to John when he felt like it. He was amused by John, but he wasn't submitting himself to the, to the word of God. You could say there are three different reactions that people have to hearing God's word, and all three are, are present in this story in, in, in a way. The first reaction is, is what I mean by in a way. Uh, the first reaction is, like many people in the villages, hearing God's word, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe, and many did exactly that. They repented and they believed and they give their life to the Messiah. They, they, loved, they chose to love God and to turn to him and to listen to him and to lean into God's word. So one reaction to hearing God's word is to love it, embrace it and lean into it. The other two are really found in this passage. Herodias, who is Herod's brother's wife who he now married Herodias hates God and wants his word removed from the planet she actively wants this messenger of God John the Baptist to be exterminated he is like a cockroach in her kitchen uh, a cancer in her kingdom she wants it eradicated and removed he is a real threat and while Herod has placed uh, Herod has placed John in protection in prison. She is like a cat staring at a bird in a cage, just waiting for a, for the time to pounce. Herodias hates God's word. There's there's the second reaction, and the third reaction to God's word is to be like Herod, to be curious, to acknowledge that something is there, but remain distant from God remain distant keep that keep your protection keep your kingdom established while you just listen so we see uh, in uh, let me just read verse 18 for for John had been saying to Herod it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife so Herodias verse 19 Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him but she was unable to because Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So Herodias, while John was held in prison, she held a grudge, uh, an unwillingness to release her anger, but rather festering this anger from within, and, and it boils up and gets stronger and stronger. For King Herod, he's curious about the prophet's words in verse 20. He protects him. He likes to listen but he's unwilling to repent. You notice that Herod calls him a righteous and holy man. He's puzzled, he's curious, he's stunned, he's perplexed by the things that John says, but he's unresponsive to what John is saying. The word of God has come to Herod, and rather than embrace the word of God and love it, he keeps a distance, he suppresses it. He keeps it in his control, and that's where John is. And so, friends, when we, when we do suppress the word of God, when we continue our life away from him, what, we re, what the Bible teaches us that we inevitably do is we grow in our gratification of the flesh. It's a big phrase, isn't it? But we actually, we, we're more in love with our passions, desires, and our goals. We're more in love with our kingdom growing 
than God's kingdom growing. That's an obvious conclusion. Verse 29, look at what, what, how the story progresses. Verse 21, I'm sorry. Verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Uh, now this is, it's quite ironic that what happens next happens on Herod's me day. His look at me day. Now I've got nothing here, it's birthdays. Have a birthday and celebrate it, invite friends, go for it. Don't hear me say that birthdays are horrible, but... In, in context with this story, I think it's very ironic that it's a day where Herod chooses to celebrate himself is the day uh, he puts on the banquet, he invites his guests, and then he, uh, no doubt, no doubt there was alcohol there, no, uh, but w- what we do know is that there was a dancer who was Herod's niece slash stepdaughter, uh, and his response to the dance, it's not his brain doing the thinking. You've got to read between the lines, and I don't think I'm drawing a thin line here, but Mark is being very delicate in giving us a non-PG story. Uh, it's, this, is, this is barbaric, what is happening at, at this party. Herod's banquet was very fleshly. Herod makes a very irrational offer. Uh, it's not his brain doing the thinking, it seems like, but it seems like a no-brainer uh, what she, how she should respond. He says to her, I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. Well, I think, what's the answer? Give me half the kingdom. That's, it's, it, he almost, here's the blank check. Uh, what do you want to put on it? But while lust is a very strong emo- passion, hate is a strong emotion too. And Herodias has something ready in her holster. When her daughter comes and says to her, what should I ask for? She, without a, without a beat says, I want, I, want the, I want the preacher's head on a platter. Herodias' response had been brewing for a while. He offered up, half, up, he offered up, up to half his kingdom, but what is demanded from him is to shut down God's word for good, to put an end to this, uh, this language of repent and believe and to close the door on God's kingdom offer. I think there's a wonderful comparison here that Herod is willing to offer half his kingdom. But when Jesus preaches the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe, he's offering the entire kingdom to us, not half-hearted. And actually, when he opens a door and invites us into his kingdom, he doesn't, he doesn't put on a, a raunchy, horrible banquet. He lays, out, he lays out heaven in all its glory and says, this is the, come and sit and eat with me uh, with a meal that I've prepared for you. The contrast between Herod's kingdom and God's kingdom is uh, sprinkled through this passage. Herod doesn't actually consider repentance an option at all. I can imagine a well-thought-out response to Herodias' daughter might be, well, look, I offered, you up, I offered you anything up to half the kingdom, and... That man's head is, is too much. Ask me for something up to half the kingdom. Not the, man, not the, not the body, not the, 
the life of a righteous and holy man. But Herod would rather save face in front of his dinner guests than to experience the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would rather look good in front of his peers than to turn to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and understand that forgiveness can be found when you enter the kingdom of God. But he's too, he's too protective of his own kingdom. But just notice this, that he regarded uh, John the Baptist as a righteous and holy man, and he was willing to put to death the righteous and holy one. He was willing to put to death the righteous and holy one. But irrespective of what Herod has done, his foolishness and gratifying the flesh and letting his passions grow and rule him rather than his brain and his trust in the Lord and his understanding and, and insight, rather than all that, despite all that happening, the kingdom of God has come. The, the kingdom of God has come. Notice the very last verse in, uh, in this story. I'll just read from verse 26. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oath to his, and, his, and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. Look at verse 29. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Mark's a brilliant storyteller. He's taken us from Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to say this is the good news about Jesus. This, this story is about Jesus, who I want you to understand is the Son of God, who is the Messiah. That's Mark's intention as he, as he travels along this, uh, his account of Jesus' life. And we get up to chapter 6, and he is, he's taken a little sojourn away from being with Jesus and being into the kingdom of Herod. A little, and, and even that, he's gone into Herod's palace and then gone back in time to show what's happened in the past. But now he's sprinkled into this narrative some clues about what's going to happen in Herod's future. Uh, The disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Does that remind you of anything? Of Jesus. And look back at verse 16. He says, But when Herod heard about this, the commotion in the streets, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. There's this concept of being raised from the dead. The righteous and holy one has been, has been executed uh, for something he didn't do, for proclaiming righteousness and the kingdom of God. And his disciples came and laid him in a tomb. In Herod's future, he will meet face to face once again with the word of God. On the day, on the night that Jesus is betrayed, he will be taken to Herod's palace and Herod will inquire of Jesus to give answers and we're told that Jesus remains silent. It's as if, it's as if Herod's opportunity has been, has been spent, already wasted in this time when John was in prison in his care. The opportunity has, has passed. The righteous and holy one will be executed. The Lord Jesus Christ will be put to death on the cross His disciples would take his body and lay him in a tomb. But friends, that tomb is not full. That that tomb is now empty. Jesus is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Uh, King Herod is now a piece of history. But Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, is our present and eternal king. Amen. This is a kingdom that lasts forever. We've had a glimpse into a kingdom that is 
selfish, futile. It's all about the, the king uh, succeeding and looking good in front of his peers. But the kingdom of God is about the king who laid down his life for his loved ones, who even those who turn their back on him, he offers his hand out and says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He says, peace and grace I give to you. Herod suppressed God's word and finally gave way to the passions and cravings of the flesh. But we were all once like Herod, little kings of our kingdom. But when we turn to Christ, we repent and believe. And he invites us to his banquet to eat and drink with him. This concept of repenting is, is it's more than just naming the sins that you've committed and saying sorry for those sins. It's about turning your whole life to Jesus and proclaiming this is the king that I want to serve. My kingdom has no future, but my future is secure in his kingdom. There's the difference. If only Herod had noticed that. We are told as the, as the, as the apostles uh, witnessed the risen Lord Jesus and went on to spread the good news to all the world and they wrote down their epistles. They told us again and again, this is how you are saved, to turn to Christ and live and having turned to Christ to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Colossians chapter 3 says, since you have been raised with Christ, lift your eyes on things above, not on things of this earth. Things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, where he reigns and he rules. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Colossians 3 says, put to death the misdeeds of the body. Sexual immorality, lust, orgies and the like, and greed, which is idolatry, says Colossians 3. And also rid yourself of malice and envy and strife and anger. These, these are things that you used to indulge in. But now, Colossians 3 says, put on or clothe yourself with love, with patience, kindness, goodness. This is the fruit of the Spirit. You see, when we come to Christ, we repent and believe the good news. We no longer feed the, the desires of the flesh. We now feed the desires of the Spirit of God. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Repentance is to let Jesus, King Jesus, rule and Jesus tells us to believe that forgiveness is given to you, paid in full at the cross. I want to add to um, the invitation to join me on Tuesday night. If you are still wrestling with who Jesus is and what it means to receive forgiveness in his name, then please do come and join me on Tuesday night, 7.30, uh, here in this auditorium, and we'll talk about it together. Let me pray. Father, you're, you've blessed us by sending your word into this world. You've blessed us by sending your son into this world. I pray, dear Lord, you'd help us not to suppress the word of God, but knowing that you've given this, us this great gift, help us to lean in, to learn, to listen, to be rebuked and to love you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray you'd help us to put to death the misdeeds of the body, Lord, help us no longer live the way that we used to, but let's, Father, through the power of your spirit and the knowledge of your word, I pray that you'd help us to pursue the fruit of the spirit and to love as you have loved. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us all to begin this journey in knowing forgiveness ourselves. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.